Also, I want to take a minute right now. If you have your bulletin, open it up, if you will, to the center panel. Center panel here, which got a little bit about Vacation Bible School. But it also says that every Christian is a missionary. I love our choir. And I absolutely love the songs they pick out, especially this morning. Think about that. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I love the line that said, in the name of Jesus, the chains come off. I want you to know, because I'm living out there in the world just like you are, that we rub shoulders every single day with people that are living in chains. Change the bondage to sin, maybe. Change the bondage of hopelessness or despair. And so what does God desire for you and I to do? To shine light into their lives, the light of Jesus Christ, that we might make a difference in somebody's life. And I want you to think about this, too. We're going to talk about this every Sunday for the next few weeks here, but... uh, it said, one little comment there says, With God's grace, it is my desire to lead somebody to Christ this summer. I want to think about this. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but maybe you've never had that experience in your life to be able to lead somebody to the Lord. I'm here to tell you, there's no greater experience than doing that. There's not. Unless it's your time to come to know the Lord personally. But to be used of God to help somebody else come to know and understand who Jesus Christ is, what God did when he sent his son to this earth and died upon that cross, and realize that they can have life because of that. So I want you to honestly and earnestly pray about doing that this summer. I want you to go fishing this summer. Jesus says, if you follow me, I'll make you what? Fishers of men. And so I want you to ponder that thought this morning and ponder it throughout the weeks of the summer and ask God to put people in your path that need to hear about Jesus Christ and come to know him. And then ask God that you might have the boldness to share that truth with other people. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 8. We're kind of finishing up chapter 8 this morning, and then we're going to move into Genesis 9 and just touch it a little bit here. But as you find your way to Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. It says in verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Noah's ark had just found its resting place in the Mount Ararat, and God told him after a number of days, Hey, I want you to get off the boat. And so he got off the boat. The first thing Noah did was build an altar. Praise God for that. Now turn the page there, if you will, to Genesis 9, chapter, verse 20. Chapter 9 of Genesis, verse 20. Further on down the story of Noah here in verse 20 there in chapter 9, it says, Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine that was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And he says it's right there that he's naked in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, this is Noah's son, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Jephthah took a garment, laid it on their, both their shoulders, and went in backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan. He's talking about his grandson. A servant of servants he shall be to his brother. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, we pray right now, Lord, you speak to our hearts today, Lord, that we might see your truth, Father, that we might understand, Father, the life you had for us. Father, we realize, too, that it's a hard life to live, Father. You tell us in your holy word, Lord, the way is narrow, Father. It's not broad, Father. So I pray right now that every one of us, Father, will lead this way, desiring to walk in an even closer walk with you. Father, we pray all these things in the precious, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. 
You know, we read Genesis 8 where Noah got off the boat. He'd survived the floods. He was on that ark for more than, 100, uh, more than a year, more than 365 days. And he got off the ark. You know, the way that Moses wrote this story out for you and I to understand and enjoy it. I mean, we kind of getting ready to cheer and stand and, and, and enjoy a celebration because Noah made it. Noah and his family and all the animals made it through the storm. Now God put that uh, ark, uh, it came to a resting place in Mount Ararat, like I said, and they got off the ark. Man, what a great experience. You know, if you were writing this book, probably the next thing we'd expect to write would say, and they lived happily ever after. You know, God did this. God, God spared this family, gave them their survival through that horrible storm when he destroyed the whole rest of the earth. The only thing that lived past that flood was that was, was on that ark. Noah and his eight relatives, nine of them all together, were on that ark. You know, it's, it's interesting on God's word how he seems to not blemish or not fall back from sharing the bad things about people's lives as well, the errors and the mistakes that people in the Bible make. And isn't it interesting, some of the greatest heroes in our Bible, Noah being one of them, made some of the biggest blunders in their life. you got to ask the question this morning, why would he do that? Why would he present this great hero of the Bible and then all of a sudden so his downside and his bad side and his, bar, his hard side there? Well, God does that so you and I can do what? I hope we can learn. We can understand God, understand his grace, even in the midst of our hard times. Why? Because who's perfect? Nobody. Nobody's perfect, including Noah. Noah was a sinner, but he was walking in a great way with God Almighty. That's why God saved he and his family. These two verses, though, bring into stark contrast about life, about how we can, how we can lose our focus so easily. Noah built an ark. I'm sorry, Noah built an altar after he got off that ark. And then he built a vineyard, and he turned away from God. The Bible says back in verses 5 and 6 and 7 and 8, it says that Noah walked with God. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Noah spent 100 years building that ark. Noah preached righteousness for over 100 years. Noah did all that God had commanded him. God saved Noah and his family. Noah gets off the ark and builds an altar. It's interesting, though. From there we see, even though he built that altar, he ends up building a vineyard. The preacher of righteousness became a naked drunk. The man who saved his family was now focused not on his family anymore, but on himself. It's just so easy for you and I to fall off where God would have us to walk, to fall off righteousness in our life. Noah was building the wrong life. Life was going in the wrong direction. Some of you sports enthusiasts may remember this story, but in the 1929 Rose Bowl, the California Golden Bears were playing the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. It was the second quarter, and the California player by the name of Roy Riggers recovered a fumble. Oh, my goodness, great, we got a fumble now, the second quarter. Well, he got a little turned around out there in the middle field and began running the wrong way. He was running towards the wrong goal line, running as hard as he could, and it took a couple of his own team players to run as hard as they could and tackle him before he crossed the goal line. It would have been a touchdown for the team if he crossed it, but they stopped him about two yards short of the goal line. Wasn't that great? Well, sad to say that on the next play from scrimmage, when the, when the California Golden Bears were trying to work their way out from the two-yard line, they got tackled in the end zone. Two points. It was a safety for the other team. Guess what the final score was? The Georgia Tech team won by two points. He cost the game because he ran the wrong way. To this day, he carries the nickname Wrong Way Wriggles. 
kind of a sad commentary on your football career. Wrong way, wriggles. Well, in this case right now, I believe that we can call Noah wrong way, Noah. He's going in the wrong direction. He's living his life in the wrong way. The Bible would say that this is called backsliding. The question for you and I today is the same question that we look at Noah's life. What are you building in your life? Are you building an altar or are you building a vineyard? You say, well, what exactly does that mean, Pastor? Let me share with you. I'm glad you asked. The Bible dictionary would tell you that an altar is a raised structure or a platform. It's where you offer worship. The Old Testament, we realize that they sacrificed animals on that altar. The Bible tells you and I that we need to present ourselves a living sacrifice. When we're building an altar, you know what we're building? We're building a life. We're building a home. We're building a family that brings glory to God, that worships God. That's where we invest our time. That's what we desire to do, that I'd walk in a closer way with God Almighty every single day. Remember the old hymn, Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. God has an incredible life for you and I. But it's so easy for you and I to get turned around. It's so easy for you and I to begin going the wrong way. Begin calling ourselves the wrong way steward. Wrong way whatever our name is here. Every time in your life, was there ever a time in your life when you feel like you're walking closer with the Lord than you are today? Was there ever a time in your life when you can say, I love the Lord a lot more than I do today? Was there ever a time in your life when your prayer life was sweeter than it is today? Was there ever a time in your life when your worship was stronger and more real than it is today? Was there ever a time in your life when your service to the Lord was more effective than it is today? God has a purpose and a direction for our life. But there's intentional steps that you and I need to make. Noah made them there for a lot of years. And we're going to talk about it in a minute, but I want you to realize how easy it is to get off course. How easy it is to get turned around just like Riggles in the middle of that football field going the wrong way. He thought he was going the right way with all his passion and all his attention. He was headed for the goal line. Just happened to be the wrong goal line. I want you to see something else about sin here. Noah's sin was multi-generational. His sin affected both his son and his grandson. A lot of times we don't realize the things that we're doing wrong right now. We think there's not a whole lot of consequences. But Noah's decisions had consequences, and so did his son Ham's decision. They had consequences. I want you to know, too, Ham, I believe, probably walked into his father's tent by accident. It wasn't that he saw his father naked that caused him to sin so much. It was what he did with that sin afterwards. He couldn't wait to tell his brothers. Why? Maybe he had a bad day with his dad. Maybe he was holding a grudge against his dad. He had every intention of making his father look bad. He realized his father was drunk. He realized his father was naked. And so I'm going to make sure that everybody knows about it, beginning with my two brothers here. Noah curses his grandson. And it's not really a literally a curse. He's saying that his life is going to be cursed. It says there in verse 25, it says, Cursed be Cain, his grandson. It's more of a projection, more of a foretelling that because of my sin, because of Ham's sin, my grandson is going to be cursed as well. He's going to walk in that. And think about Canaan. Canaan was the land that the Israelites were ultimately going to go into, the promised land. What did God tell the Israelites to do? To destroy all the Canaanites. Why? Because they're decrepit. Because they're pagans. When we associate with pagans, you know what happens? We become like them, unfortunately. They influence us more than we influence them many times. 
Noah underestimated the enemy. He underestimated the power of sin. We face a very formidable foe. I want you to know this, that none of us individually on our own stand a chance against Satan. We don't. There's no chance, none whatsoever. The only chance that we have to stand against Satan himself is Jesus Christ. Satan has no chance when Jesus Christ is the leader and master of our life. But we minimize the power of Satan. The Bible tells us, Jesus told us, that the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is all about destroying. He's all about sending us off course. You know, we've read a lot and seen a lot over the past decades here about uh, weapons of mass destruction. They've been around since World War II, even before that, with the chemical biological warfare. But we think about weapons of mass destruction today, and we kind of worry about nuclear things. That's our concern with North Korea and Iran and Russia. You know, we think about chemical weapons, and we see those being used in some of these third world countries and things where they've got a despot for a ruler. But I want you to think about this. I want to think just for a moment about the weapons of mass destruction that Satan uses. I want you to know this morning that Satan had destroyed more lives in himself than all the other weapons made by man in all the years and all the history of history. All the history, all the years of history, history of the world. Satan uses his deadly arsenal to do, I believe, three things. First and foremost, he keeps people from coming to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. The second thing he does is he keeps those who have accepted Jesus Christ from growing. I've accepted Jesus Christ. Man, I'm excited about my faith. But Satan's going to do everything he can to keep you from growing. And finally, he's going to ruin the testimony of godly followers of Jesus Christ. He wants us to fall and to stumble. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan's target is our mind. His ultimate objective is our heart. He wants to get our mind focused in a new, new direction. He wants our mind to go off in the wrong direction. He wants us to go backwards in our mind. I want you to know that Satan cannot read your mind. But Satan could put something in front of you and things out there that he knows you're prone to because he's seen your actions and he sees where you go and sees what you're looking at. He can put those things in your path to cause you to stumble. Satan has a very specific mode of operation. He desires, first of all, to entice you. Then he wants to ensnare you. And then he wants to enslave you. It's progressional. Satan is not stupid. He's very good at his craft. He realizes I can probably entice this person because I see him looking at this all the time. I can entice this person over there because he seems to have a tendency to go this direction. So I'm going to entice him here. And I want to get him ensnared so he's kind of stuck to it. And then I want to see him be enslaved. I want to see him caught in the midst of my web. I want you to understand this morning, understanding that Satan's target is our mind and his ultimate objective is our heart. We need to make up our mind. That's what it is. You would have thought that Noah had his mind made up, that, man, I'm walking with God. God saved my family. God, look at what God did in my life. You would have thought, man, he was, he was immune to being called by Satan in the wrong direction, but he wasn't. We're all susceptible to Satan. You kind of think about this. If, if, God, if Satan could get Noah off course, I imagine he could probably get you and I off course as well. Noah was a solid man. The only man that God desired to, to save from that flood besides his family. 
And his family was solid too because Noah was a solid man. But Noah fell. It's so easy for you and I to fall. We need to make up our mind. We need to realize that, hey, my mind's made up. I'm not going in the wrong direction anymore. This is the direction I'm going. I'm, setting a, I'm, I'm planting a flag right now in my life, and this is where we're going to stand. This is what we're going to stand for. This is where we're going together as a family. As men, we need to lead our families that way. We need to understand that God has an incredible plan and purpose for my life. And I want to make sure that I walk where God wants me to walk. God has a lot to say about our minds in the Bible. I'm just going to share three thoughts this morning. Philippians 2, 5, he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Jesus Christ. He wants us to have the mind of Christ. The next thing he tells us in Romans 8, 5, verse 5, it says, For to be carnally minded is death. When we allow the world to take over our mind, even if we're following Jesus Christ, it causes death. Not internal life if we're truly a follower of Jesus Christ, but it causes death. God has called you and I out to walk with him and to walk in the light. It says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Finally, in Colossians 2, 3, 2, it says this, Set your mind on things above, not on things on this earth. You know, when I begin to walk and keep my mind set on things from above, keep my mind set on things of heaven and God Almighty, you know what happens? This down here doesn't really have the impact on my life that it used to. Why? Because, man, I'm looking above it. I can tell you for a lot of years as a businessman, but also a lot of years as a pastor, sometimes I get so bogged down with all the details and all the things I need to handle, especially in the restaurant business, having all the different restaurants. Where do I go? I'd have to stop for a second and say, I need to get above it all. I need to get up here and walk down so I can look down and see all the situations here because right now I'm immersed in this world. What happened to Noah was he took his eyes off God and got immersed and smothered by the world. He was no longer looking up here with God. He was looking down here at the world and seeing all the things out there. You ever had one of those evenings when you're driving home and all of a sudden there's a little critter out in the middle of the road, maybe a squirrel or maybe any kind of animal that's quick? And that little squirrel runs out right in front of your car, and you're a little ways off, and so all of a sudden he stops a minute, looks at you, and then he goes this way, turns around, goes this way, back this way, back this way. And finally he just stops right in the middle of the road, and you ride, run right over the top of him, don't hit him. It's interesting, though, how that looks like a lot of human beings today. We have a hard time figuring out which way to go. We have a hard time making decisions in our life. Shall I stay or shall I go? Then I saw one time, shall I stay or shall I go now? I won't sing anymore to you. Should I listen or should I talk? Should I stop or should I go? Get a little harder questions here. Should I study my Bible or watch TV? Should I go shopping or go to a sporting event or should I go to church today? Should I pray or should I sleep? We have decisions every single day. Decisions make our mind, make, make our life. Our decisions define who we are. Remember at the end of Joshua's life, he gathers all the nation of Israel together out there in the plains there. He wants to have a few last moments with them. He wants to share the truth with them. But he also realizes you guys have gotten going backwards here. You guys do not have your head screwed on straight. You don't have your affections set where they need to be. So he says this, and you know this verse. It's Joshua 24, verse 15. Joshua says to the whole nation of Israel, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He's telling them, hey, it's time to make up your mind. You need to make up your mind. 
And then Joshua says this to the whole nation of Israel. He says, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua had made up his mind. He realized that God was the only way. There is no life in this world without God in the middle of it. I want to have a life that brings glory to God. I'm going to live in such a way as that I realize that God is the king in my life, the master of my life, that Jesus Christ died upon that cross that I might have this life that God is offering me. I want to claim that life and live it. I don't want to get waylaid by lesser things. I don't want to get pulled aside by things of this world. I want to keep my mind focused on God. Noah built an altar, but then Noah built a vineyard. Noah got all entangled with the world. You know, in the medical profession, there's a disorder known as bipolar. person experiences that has this disorder, kind of a mood swings, from very high to very low. There's no real known cause that I've heard about, but most doctors would tell you it's because of a chemical imbalance. You say, well, Pastor, what the heck does that have to do with what we're talking about here today? There's a similar disorder in people that follow God. Bipolar type is a disorder. But the type that we're talking about here, walking with God, is a double-minded man. It says in, in James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Well, what does that mean, a double-minded man? It means that it's so easy for you and I to live our lives with one foot in the world and one foot with God. We don't plant both of our feet with Jesus Christ. We plant one over there. But we, because we enjoy some of the things of the world, we plant another foot over here and stand in the world. Our life swings between both the world and God. One foot with God, one foot with the world. We serve two masters. You know what happens when we become double-minded? It says we haven't made up our mind. We haven't got serious about what God has for us. We have not said, God, I want you first. I've made up my mind. I'm walking with you, God. I'm turning my back on the world and not turning my back on God. Well, the bipolar disorder is a chemical imbalance, as we mentioned, but they can treat it today's with drug therapy. Double-mindedness. Double-mindedness is spiritual imbalance. I'm not walking where I need to be walking. I have not made up my mind yet that I'm going to plant my feet firmly with God. i got good news for you, though. Double-mindedness is treatable. It's curable. It's curable by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting the decisions we have opportunities to make. And I want you to know this. That as a follower of Jesus Christ we need to make sure that we keep him involved in our decision-making, that we set our priorities based on what Jesus Christ has told us and given us. We realize that I make too many mistakes of my own, so I'm going to ask God to kind of order my steps and direct my path. Then I'm going to ask God to show me the direction he wants me to go. These decisions we make are based on priorities. How many times, maybe you can look back in your life, and how many times I've seen as a pastor in my own life, but also other people's lives sometimes, that, we make mistakes. We all do. Sometimes we make the mistakes and we look back why we made it is because we had the wrong priorities. I didn't have my priorities lined up. I didn't have my God first. I didn't have my spouse second. I didn't have my family third. That's the priorities of life. It should be. But I was thinking other ways. I was allowing other things to come into my life and lead me in the wrong direction here. My priorities were all about me. And that's where Noah was at. 
It was all about him. You and I need to realize that we need to make up our mind that God is first in our life. Well, as we kind of wrap up this morning, what have we learned here this morning? I want you to ponder this thought kind of deeply for a second. Our own worst enemy is ourselves. The biggest stumbling block to me walking in a greater way of God is me. I either allow things to be the stumbling block or I stumble myself. I look at the wrong things in life as opposed to looking at him first and foremost. Noah was walking with God. He had found God's grace. He did everything that God told him to do. Did it exactly like him told him to do it. Built that ark precisely the way God instructed him. Loaded that ark. Waited on God's timing for everything. Did everything according to God. Got off that ark though and all of a sudden he's going in the wrong direction. We are our own worst enemy. Noah was his own worst enemy. God has abundantly blessed, blessed you and I, and so unfortunately we sabotage that too many times. I'm going to break down five ways very quickly here how we sabotage our life. How we sabotage our life. First of all, impulsiveness. Many of us have had those times in our life where we're very impulsive. What is the greatest weakness in impulsiveness? It's a matter of what pleases me. I'm being impulsive today because this will please me. I'm going to do this because it pleases please me. I've had those experiences in my life before to when I felt like this was a good thing to do for me. And all of a sudden I'm going that way but realize after I do it, it's the wrong thing to do. We're driven by lust of ourself, lust of our flesh. You know, it's interesting. A lot of times we say, well, I've been impulsive before too and it hasn't really done any great damage. What I did wasn't really that damaging. Well, ask yourself this question. When I'm impulsive going in the wrong direction, does it separate me from God? I'm going this way right now because this is what I want to do. At that point in our life, have we separated ourselves from God? Have we removed ourselves from God's blessings? The second way that we sabotage our life is we compromise. You know, sad state of affairs in the church today in America is that most people believe themselves to be regular church attenders if they go twice a month. A lot of people have talked themselves in the perspective that I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Well, I can say right now that you're going to highly influence your growth in the Lord by going to church. Because I get encouraged. I encourage other people. I get to serve. I get, I get served as well. I get, to, I get to learn because there's other people around me that are teaching me Bible things that I had never thought about before. I get to worship God together in a corporate setting. And man, when I do that, I just feel God's blessings on me. And it really makes me stop and ponder and stop and think about how great my God is in life. I was moved with emotions about the choir this morning. I, I love the choir. But the words of that song. Think about the words of that song here this morning. Blessed be the name of the Lord. My chains are broken. My chains are cut. Do we compromise our commitments? Do we compromise our priorities? Do we compromise in our time area of my life? How much of my time, how much of my resources, how much of my life do I give to the Lord? Am I compromising these things? How does this hurt us? I believe it removes our blessings when we compromise and take shortcuts. God's not about shortcuts. The third thing that breaks down uh, our, our, our sabotages our life, it's being unteachable. I've called people that I've met before, not to their face, but just look at them and think they kind of have an aristocratic kind of attitude. 
They have an attitude where they can't learn anything. They're not going to learn anything. I know it all. Oh, you're speaking today about this, or you want to tell me about this? I already know all about that. You probably experience that with the kids sometimes. A lot of times their kids feel like they don't need to be told how to do something because they already know it. It's sad, though, when it happens in the life of an adult. There's too many people out there that call themselves followers of Jesus Christ that their growth is characterized by apathy and mediocrity. Paul and Peter both told their audiences some of the last things they ever wrote. Paul to Timothy and Peter to his audience said, grow in the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Be strong in the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God wants us to grow in our faith. God wants us to have an experience with him that's a constantly living, organic, growing experience. That every day with God is an opportunity to grow in him and to see new things I've never seen before. Jesus preached in the Beatitudes, hungry and th- uh, blessed are those who are hunger and, thirst, hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God, for they shall be filled. God has this incredible plan for you and I to grow. It entails all of life that we grow in that thing because every time we're going through life, even the hard times, we look to God and say, hey, God, what do you want me to learn? What do you want to show me today? You know, there's a great contrast between airplanes and every other form of transportation. Think about this for a second. Every other form of transportation, buses, cars, trains, trucks, you name it, everything out there that's a form of transportation can come to a screeching halt, shift their gear lever in reverse, and go backwards. Every single form of transportation except for the plane. Realize this, the plane can't slam on the brake in the middle of the air and put it in reverse and back up, right? That plane's not going to do anything but crash if it does anything besides go forward, okay? I think you probably know where I'm going with this. The Christian life is like the airplane. There's really only one direction God wants us to go, and it's forward. He wants us to grow. He wants us to grow up towards him and closer to him as we learn more about him. He wants us to see himself in us every day. He wants us to reflect who he is into this world out there. As a Christian, when we stop growing, you know what happens? We crash, just like an airplane. When we stop moving forward, we crash, just like an airplane. God wants you and I to make up our mind and grow. God wants us to stop being unteachable. God wants us to begin growing. You know, the, the, the fourth way that we sabotage ourselves is we try to do it alone. We become loners. You know, there's no record in the scripture here that Noah confided in anybody. Listen to this. Even God, after he got off that ark, we don't see it. That Noah went out there and planted the vineyard, got drunk and everything else, and kind of turned his back on God. I'm not sure why that is, but I'm here to tell you that we're going to fail if we don't have other people pouring into our lives. The question for you and I today is, who can speak truth into your life? Is there somebody in your life that sees you and loves you enough to speak truth into it? Sometimes the truth is hard to hear. It's still good to hear it, though. The Bible tells us as well in Proverbs 27 that, As iron sharpens iron, so the countenance of a friend sharpens another. We all need somebody to challenge us. We all need somebody to raise us up, somebody to encourage us and edify us and hold us accountable. The final thing is pride. I think when we become proud, we sabotage God's blessings in our life. The Bible tells us that pride comes before the fall. How little Noah leaned on God there. 
I believe that Noah, because of who he was and how God had complimented him, how God saved him, how God put him on the ark, and they'd just gone through the, you know, the greatest uh, near-death catastrophe the world ever seen for him. All those millions of people died in that flood. They saw, he saw, I'm pretty, I'm pretty special. God thinks I'm special. God saved me. I think overwhelmed with pride, he kind of turned his back on God. I want to think about prayer. I think you can kind of do a little study on your level of pride by doing a study on your prayer life. You know, every morning you and I get up and we have life. We begin breathing. I don't think any of us got up in the morning and have to remind ourselves, hey, today I'm going to make sure I breathe. Make sure I breathe today, okay? I don't want to stop breathing today. Make, make sure I breathe today. We don't do that. It's automatic. It's life. We get up in the morning and we just begin breathing. That's where prayer needs to be in our life as a follower of Jesus Christ. It needs to be automatic. It's not something we need to remind ourselves, oh, I didn't pray this morning. Oh, I need to make sure I pray at lunchtime. I need to serve, make sure I pray tonight. I need to sit down and pray today. Prayer needs to be just like air is to you and I when we breathe. It needs to be part of our life. It needs to be who we are in our life. I'm talking to God all day long. It doesn't need to be closed eyes. I hope you don't do that if you're praying in the car. You know, you're just talking to God. Saying, God, I, I love you, God. Thank you. God, please bless this person today. Watch over this person today. God, I just had this in my mind here. Would you give me information or instruction and wisdom in dealing with this? Letting God know how much you love him. God has told you and I to pray without ceasing. God's told you and I that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God says, call to me and I'll answer you and, 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 and give you great mighty things. God desires to have this intimate relationship with you and I. What are we talking about here? We're talking about an ongoing, growing, intimate relationship with God. When we don't have that intimate, growing relationship, you know what we have? We're like that airplane. It's going to crash and burn. God desires to have this organic, living relationship with you. because Why? Because he's a living God. He gave everything for you and I. We are our own worst enemy. Stories told about the automaker, the famous automaker, Henry Ford. Henry Ford, as you guys know, developed a car. But he was building a factory. He wanted to have generators to provide power for that factory. So he consulted with an electronic genius, a guy by the name of Charlie Steinmetz. Charlie Steinmetz built the generators. generators. They, they exceeded Henry Ford's expectations for those generators. They were phenomenal generators. Unbelievable. Henry Ford couldn't believe it. One day, those generators, though, came to a screeching halt. Henry Ford got his work guys out there trying to figure it out, got some of his guys that worked for him building that car to try to figure it out. They couldn't figure it out. So Henry Ford called his old friend, Steinmetz, said, hey, I've got a problem over here. Can you come back and kind of help us do it? Well, Charlie Steinmetz came back, had those generators going in an hour. Unbelievable. He'd been working on it for a couple of days. Henry Ford had a couple of days, and he, Charlie comes back and fixes it in one hour. He leaves, and Ford said, hey, send me a bill. Charlie, okay? He said, okay. So a couple of days later, Ford gets a bill in the mail, $10,000. Oh, my gosh. You know, Henry Ford was kind of a cheapskate. Cheapskate. He called his friend, Charlie. He said, Charlie, what the heck? Why is this $10,000? Charlie said, well... I charged you $10 for coming over there and fixing it. I charged you $9,990 for knowing how to fix it. Think about this. 
How many times do we spend $10 here and $10 here and $10 here trying to fix the problems in our life or trying to figure life out or trying to figure out, God, why, why does my life feel like you're just a, it's so empty, God? Or why do I feel like, you know, there's nothing to my life, God? Or I ask you every day, God, is this as good as it gets? Or how come the relationships I have right now aren't, aren't very good anymore? What's going on here, God? So $10 after $10 after $10. And right here we have the $9,990 answer, $9 answer for all of God's problems. It's a matter of keeping our focus right. It's a matter of making up our mind and realizing that I want to have the life that Jesus Christ died upon that cross for. I want to have a life that's exceptional based on God's promises. I want to have a life that has peace and past understanding. I want to have joy. I want to have hope. I want to have kindness and love in my life. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not going to happen without Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen when we backslide. It's not going to happen when we realize that my life's not going in the right direction. It comes when we begin doing what God's told us to do. Begin living the way that God's promised us to live. Realizing that God has this incredible life for me, and I want it. God, I want that life. If Noah can backslide, you and I can backslide too. I'm sure we all have those testimonies. I've been there before. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you're there today. But God has a plan going forward. God says, I have something very special for you. I want you to realize that I sent my son to die upon that cross that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I sent my son upon that cross that you might receive the Holy Spirit because of him and have an incredible life and no longer be confused, no longer go in the wrong direction, no longer being called wrong way Noah, wrong way Gary, whatever it might be. That God has a plan. God has a purpose. And it all begins right here when I say, my mind is made up.